Can we have a little bit of light? Not so much, they'll see my face. Then they'll, they'll all leave. <laughs> ah! Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Govinda. So many wonderful people. Good to see you, Marori Mohini. And, and that nice sidekick of yours, Jim. We've come all the way from Sedona. So, so nice to have you. So good to see you. Any new faces? No, that's your old face. Anybody here for the first time? Yeah. What are your names? I'm Tyler. Tyler? I'm April. April. Oren. Oren. Wonderful. How did you find out about us? Um, yeah. yeah. I hope you didn't think it was like a typical yoga class. Okay, good. <laughs> Believe it or not, sometimes people come, they see it on Meetup and they come with their yoga mats. You know, and they're all ready to go for a yoga, and they see this crazy kirtan that we do, and then, and then I come in, and they think, what did, what did I get myself into? You know, get me out of here. Well, I'm starting to feel important. I've got all these mics. Well, I'm going to have to do this more often. So... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, it, it, it's, as you go around the world, customs are different. You know, things mean different things. Uh, in, in the Western world, United States, if someone does this, what does that mean? Huh? Somebody? Huh? Stop, or it could mean hi. So, in the Vedas, dealing with uh, the devotees, uh, Saintly persons, when they go like this, they're giving you their blessing. You know, you see the deities Radha and Krishna. Sometimes Radha is like this, she's giving you her blessing. So, and sometimes you see people in India, a speaker, and he'll be saying to the group, What does that mean? Huh? What does that mean? He's back up, yeah. Actually, what he's saying is, come close, come close. It's different, you see. So, uh, you go different places. And some things where people may mean to be um, polite, it's taken as impolite. Welcome back. Well, we have so many, so many people. Jesse's back. Wow. This is an auspicious sign, all these wonderful people returning. Uh, so, so you can be someplace and someone may do some gesture. Of course, there are some gestures that mean the same thing all over the world. Use your, use your imagination, I'm not gonna show it to you. Uh, 
but someone made make some gesture you hear some some you get some input from someone and you may take it as an offense when they meant it favorably or you may take it favorably when they meant it as an offense so there's confusion in communication can we turn the fan on so we get so much input and it's hard for us to tell where all this is coming from sometimes we are influenced constantly as we go through life it even if you're alone it's even like that now it used to be the yogi could go someplace and uh, out in the Himalayas in the West they say Himalayas but it's actually pronounced Himalaya you know uh, he means ice and snow Alya means place of Himalaya means place of ice and snow so there are different Amalias, but Heme is one of them, right? So uh, you could go out, when you're a yogi, you could go out in the Himalayas and you could do your meditation. And you could be all by yourself. And you could do that today, too, until you get a notification on your phone. You know, your phone starts going ding, 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 and you look. Oh, yeah. So... <laughs> You know, you, we're influenced. It's, uh, even the outside world follows us around now because we, we, t we walk around with the internet in our pocket. So we're constantly, you know, if you go on Facebook, there's all these, um, it's free. You don't have to pay anything. But it's because people pay to advertise on it. And so you're... You can be looking through your Facebook, enjoying whatever it is, and then you see some ad, and you think, "Wow, that sounds like a pretty good deal," you know. And, and then if you happen to make the mistake of clicking on it, it's going to follow you around for the rest of your life, isn't it? Because it's like it's trying to influence you. So we have all these influences that are constantly on the attack. Uh, and they're they're trying to do just that they want to influence you and what happens is we start to react we may not know it we may start thinking I see something on my phone and you think hey I need that wow that sounds great and so uh, I'm being influenced by it and I think that I want it okay I start to follow what I start to follow my mind my mind is following the ad on Facebook hey you need this and it's half price Wow I didn't I wasn't so convinced that I needed it till I saw that it was half price now I'm pretty sure I need to look further, you see. And like I said, once you, ever, once you ever check anything out, is it just me or does this happen to everybody? It's it's everywhere you go. You'll see it, you know, it's just like there. I was looking for a pair of shoes one time, some walking shoes, and I happened to click on this link. And I see walking shoes every time I go into Facebook, you know, it's boom. 
enough already. So uh, sometimes we're uh, influenced uh, by our mind. And your mind was influenced by somebody else. But because we have this misunderstanding that I am my body, I, I've got to be my body because I don't have any other good explanation on who I am, right? I mean, I've always been my body. I've always been there for myself. Every morning when I look in the mirror, it's that same person. As I get older, so does that guy in the mirror. Isn't that amazing? I identify with that body. That's me. And so if that's me, if I am my body, then I am my mind, right? So if my mind tells me that I need to buy these shoes, which by the way are half off, a 50% markdown, then that's me saying I want them, you see? So oh, <laughs> I'm being influenced by my mind, which was influenced by somebody else. Does this make any sense? So what about me? I'm not my body, so I'm not my mind, right? I'm not this body. <clears throat> the very first step in making spiritual advancement of any kind is to understand that I am not this body. If you believe you are this body, then you've got, you've got a really bad future in front of you. <laughs> If you are this body, we all know, we know what happens to bodies, don't we? They rot. If you don't burn them or feed them to animals, they rot. You see, no matter what kind of chemicals you put in them to preserve them. Are we going to end up like that? No, you, according to the wisdom of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, Never was there a time when you did not exist. Never will there be a time when you will cease to be. You're eternal. You're unborn. You're undying. That's you, the soul. So this soul will shed so many bodies and take on other bodies. You'll go and you'll go and you'll go. So that's kind of a relief, isn't it? It's like, whew, okay, so I'm not my body. And when I shed this one, I get another one. That's good news, right? It means I'm not going to, I am not going to rot in the ground. My body is going to rot, or they're going to burn it, you know, or feed it to tigers or whatever they want to do with this. What do you care? Once you leave the body, what do you care what they do with it? Some people are very attached to that, aren't they? Well, I want to be on a hill. Sometimes people want to bury. Let's bury Ernesto on this hill here. He always liked looking off of Mount Lemmon. We want to bury him right here. You know, Ernesto's so far gone. He's back, back home, back to Godhead. You know, it's, so you're going to put this body. In other words, I'm going to put the body there <clears throat> and let it rot in a in a box, and he'll feel good about it. It's something doing good for him. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, so, <laughs> what do you care? When you leave the body, what happens? 
you get another one. I mean, you're not going to look back and say, boy, that body I used to have, I wish I had that one too. I wish I could have brought it with me. I've got this new body, and I wish I had the old one too. You don't even think about it, do you? When you took your birth in this body, you know, how many people here spend any time thinking about what kind of body did I have before or lamenting, you know? Maybe at some point as you grow up, you, you start to wonder, what do they call that? Uh, past life regression. Past life regression, yeah. <clears throat> I want to know. Sometimes people ask me if I'm interested in that, and I say, well, if you're driving down the road and you spend too much time looking in the rearview mirror, you may run into somebody or run off the road. Um, how much can it help you to learn what you were? Could be interesting. It might be fun coffee table talk or happy hour discussion, you know. And there are people on the internet that'll charge you money. They'll even give you half off maybe. And they'll tell you. And of course, how would they know? But there are people who will tell you that. There's, there's a whole industry in past life regression, you know. And even if they could tell me right on the dime, what good would it do me? Because here I am, you see. So they can say in your last lifetime you were very famous, extremely wealthy, one of the wealthiest people of your time one of the biggest landowners in Europe, and they named castles after you, you know, and you're saying, oh, that's great, but the rent's due, and I need to pay it. I can't go there and say, hey, that castle's named after me in my last lifetime. Can you imagine <laughs> somebody coming up and, oh, in my last lifetime, that, that was mine. Well, get out of here. No, really, I want some of my money that I used to have. Rent's due. You know, I've got a car payment. So I used to have millions of dollars. And then I left my body, and then they, they all piled on and split it up, and who knows where it went. But I want it's mine, damn it. I want it. It doesn't work that way. So... The intelligent person needs to focus on where am I going, you know, what's ahead. And it's just like when you drive your car, when you're driving your car, you're pretty much in control, aren't you? You get that steering wheel and you can make it go left, you can make it go right, you can speed it up, you can slow it down, you can even bring it to a stop. So your life can be that way. You can, and you should, you, not your mind, and not the influences from outside, you should drive your life. Your body is your vehicle. And you can use this, especially this human body. When you had the body of a dog, you couldn't do much except hunt for food, look for a comfortable place to sleep, and occasionally find a mate. 
And once you found something worth having, then you had to defend it because there were other dogs and other critters that want to take it away. So now you have this human form of life and you have many more choices. The human body gives you choices. <clears throat> the animals' uh, bodies are not as full of choices as, as ours, you see. It's like I've used this before, this example. It's like, uh, can you imagine Sunday dinner with pride of lions and they're all eating the elk? And you know the father lion, he's there, he's just kind of everybody, the wife and the little cubs, and they're just devouring this elk. And the father elk has got this, he's like, and the mother elk says, honey, what's wrong? You've hardly touched your food. Says, well, you know, when I saw that life leave that, the eyes of that elk when I killed it, I just felt really bad. I just thought, boy, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to become a vegan. You know, can you see? He doesn't have a choice. So since he doesn't have that uh, magnified brain that human beings do, uh, do, he doesn't have the choice. And he also doesn't have the choice to care. He doesn't have the choice to care. The elk is food, and so are you, you know? So as you become human beings, as you take these human bodies, you have tremendous choices that are put before you. And uh, you also are expected to care. The world doesn't expect the lion to feel badly if he hunts you down and eats you. Oh, they may go shoot him because he's, he's, he's bad, you see. Uh, but no one expects that he's, all right, well, he needs to get treatment. You know, he needs to go to, uh, to a psychologist. What made you want to kill that person? Oh, well, you know. My mother always killed people, so I thought it was the thing to do, you know. No, nobody expects the tiger to care if you kill him. You're, you're tiger food. Tigers eat meat. And guess what? That You are meat, you know. So, but a human being has the ability to care, and therefore you're expected to care. You have the ability to care about so many things. Huh? And you have so many choices. You can choose that I'm not going to go kill things. You can make that choice. You're expected to care about just killing stuff just so you can put it in your face because your tongue likes the texture or the taste. Uh, attached to that tongue is a magnanimous brain. Human beings have incredible brains. And you can actually calculate, am I doing the right thing here? Is there something better for me? 
my mind has always told me that this is okay. Why, Grandma did it. You know, Grandma used to, I remember my grandmother used to go out and uh, catch chickens. You know, we had a little farm. This is way back in the other century. And she would, uh, she would catch the chicken and break its neck, cut its head off, pull its feathers out and fry it up for dinner. Maybe one or two she would do, you know. And so, uh, so, you know, everybody knows grandma doesn't do anything wrong, right? So grandma did it, so I do it too. I was influenced by what grandma did. And grandma influenced my mom and my mom wouldn't do anything wrong. You see what I mean? So I'm influenced by the atmosphere around me, those who I associate with. I'm not saying that they're bad. They were not exercising that full capacity of this human brain. My grandmother was a very wonderful lady. My mother was a wonderful lady. But they didn't have that uh, advancement in spiritual consciousness. They, like everyone else, were influenced by their minds. You see? And sometimes we have influences that we think are from the heart. I'm, I think I'm safe to say that probably everybody in this room would admit that I've had influences, we've had influences uh, from what we thought was our heart, only to find out that it was really just our mind, right? Especially when you're young and you fall in love, you know, sixth grade and you get a crush on somebody and they may think, you may think they're the love of your life. You see, was that your heart or was it your mind speaking? You know, it was your mind. You know, was it your heart? I'm defining your heart as being you, not this thing that pumps blood. When people talk about heart, have a heart. You ever heard people say that? Look, have a heart. They're, they're asking you to connect with reality. You know, they don't, everybody has a heart. Everybody has a pulse. If you don't have a pulse, you're not walking around, you see? So it's not meant that organ that pumps blood. It's meant you, I, you, I want you to get in touch with you. Reality, have a heart. Which means I'm asking you to have some mercy some kindness and some love. We all somehow or other uh, within us, within us, there is that knowledge that we're all spirit souls. We're eternal living entities. There is that knowledge. Somehow or other it's there. I say that because it's so covered over. Because I keep thinking I am this body and that I am my mind, you see? So I need to learn how do I distinguish between uh, me, the real me, <clears throat> and my body. This mind, how do I know when it's my mind talking 
or when it's me. Yeah. From the, from the results. Yeah. From prior results, we should be able to for, forecast. Is this my mind or is this me that's feeling this? So to find out if it's you, where will this uh, influence take you? What's in it for me? Learn to have a reflex to wonder. If your mind wants to do something, just ask your mind, what's in it for me? What do I get if I do this? What do I get, my dear mind? In other words, I'm, I'm drawing a line between us. I am not you. Actually, my dear mind, I've got some bad news for you, but you work for me. You are me. It's like my hand works for me. Most of the time, anyway. No, it, it does. My feet work for me. This body works for me. I am the proprietor of this body, temporarily. You see? So this mind, which is the sixth sense, the, the senses, five senses focus into the mind, and if I think that I am my mind, then the senses are going to beat me up all my life, and I'll be following what my tongue wants and my, my ears want, my sense of touch, you see? which is pretty much the way most people live their lives, you see? And they get into trouble. If you talk to folks that are a little older, that'll be honest with you, good friends that'll open up, they'll tell you. Am I right here, Ken? The other old guy in the room. <laughs> well, you're not so, you're not a young chicken yourself. You know, you'll admit this is true. You'll admit that I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> you know, I don't know how many times you you say, "Why did I do that?" You know, some people have a flat spot right here on their head from going, "Why did I do that?" You know, I, um, there's a Japanese word, shmita. It means, I, I think it's the only expletive that the Japanese have. They don't have dirty language like we do. Maybe they have come up with some, it's probably just English slang and dirty words that they copy, but it means I have made a mistake. The Japanese are very, um, very clean people. Like they, Even their language is not dirty. So, shmita, you know. I've made a mistake. So uh, stop making mistakes. How do you do that? Listen to you. Listen to your heart, which is you, the soul. That eternal you, not this temporary you. Well, the mind is going to react to things that are handed to you. You know, you were born in America. So that's what's given you. We're giving you this American culture. Or as they say in other parts of the world, the American lack of culture. <laughs> Isn't it like that, you know? So um, 
This is handed to you. You're not given a choice. You know, it's. it used to be kind of like a, a joke people would say, you know, in America, it's, what is it? Hot dogs, baseball, apple pie, and Chevrolet. <laughs> Remember that? There's a song like that, you know, hot dogs, baseball. So these are the, this is the American culture. Hot dogs, baseball, apple pie, and Chevrolet. That's, this is handed to you. We're like this, and we don't like those people over there. They're not like us. We like us. You see, this is handed to you. Many of us can escape a lot of these things that are handed to us. You know, this is your religion. It's the only way. It's a narrow path. On, on each side, if you fall off, you go to hell. Okay, all right, you know, I'll, just, I'll walk that path. And, you know, this is, so I'm in America and I'm given the American culture. I'm given the American English language, you see. Um, does this make any sense? Your mother gives you a certain food. You didn't get any choices. You're handed. And so this becomes what I do. I've been trained and um, taught how I am. And I think I am an American. Or in Texas, they say I'm Merkin. Because I'm in Merca. You know, you lived in Texas for a while. Don't they say, they say that, you know? Merca. I'm a Merkin. You know, so, uh, does this make any sense? So I've been influenced. So when you get into spiritual life, when you are um, there for a while, you need training wheels in your spiritual life. You start to inquire and people will tell you, oh, there's so much more than what you've been taught. And you go through different stages. People will teach you that you're one with everything, you know? Well, that sounds better. I was thinking it was this narrow path and hell was on each other side. And, you know, so now I'm one with everything. And then some will teach you that actually you're one with everything and you're God. I am God and you are God. What was the Beatles saying? I am you and you are me and, and we are all together. Remember that? If you do enough LSD and smoke enough pot, throw back enough tequila, you'll start to think anything, you know? So, huh? He was the walrus. Yeah, <laughs> I am the walrus. <laughs> Maybe he's a walrus now, you know? Funny thing happened, uh, let me take a minute and tell you the story of John Lennon. A lot of people don't know this, but this is a fact. This is an absolute truth. Uh, John Lennon in his later days, he and Yoko, started to visit New York City a great deal. Uh, they liked New York because uh, I don't, <clears throat> is anybody here familiar with New York City very much? So you guys know, in New York, when you're walking down the street in New York, you have no idea who you're gonna pass. I mean, it could be some movie star, some, some uh, 
musician, famous, you know, TV personality that everybody knows. But in New York, it's rare for people to run up to them. They just kind of, yeah, get out of here, you know. <laughs> get out of the way. I got to get over there. I'm over here, and you're over there, and I want to get over there. Yeah. I don't care who you are, you know. So John and Yoko liked that. They could walk Manhattan, and people weren't, <laughs> you know, if they were anywhere else, they would be crowd around. Maybe they were a few people. They used to come to our temple on 55th Avenue, uh, 55th Street, between 8th and 9th Avenue. So it wasn't uncommon to see them there. And so uh, he was familiar with the devotees. The devotees were familiar. We were guests at his house in London, the devotees were. So he was very familiar. He knew Prabhupada. He had met Prabhupada. And so when uh, on the night that John Lennon was assassinated, that he was shot, there was a devotee in the New York temple. And their child was very, very ill, very sick. And the wife said you know, to her husband, we have to take our daughter to the emergency room. And it just so happened that he, they took their daughter to the same hospital emergency room that John Lennon's uh, was brought into after he had been shot. And so here's this guy sitting in, in this room with his wife and his child, and there's all this commotion going on out in the hallway. And he said, what's going on out there? Why, this is unusual this late at night for this much commotion to be going on out there in a, you know, hospital emergency rooms can, are usually very quiet. So he went out there to see what's going on just as they're wheeling John Lennon's body in on the gurney. And John is still alive, clinging, clinging to life. And so Yoko is by his side and the devotee walks up and said, John! And John said, he looked at Yoko and said, what? And she said, John, the Hare Krishnas are here. And John said, Hare Krishnas? And then he left his body. He died. Have you heard that story? Yeah. So, so, uh, where, 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 where was I? I wasn't, I got off on, I do this. So. New York, so, you can walk around. Yeah, New York, yeah. But, they like uh, that. Oh, you're the walrus, you know, you can, you can believe anything. I am one, we are all, we are, I am you, you are me, we're all one together. If you get high enough, that's where I was when I thought of uh, John. And, and so, so this is some sort of a spiritual realization, but it's, it's a step. Uh, but it's not the conclusion. And what I see that bothers me a lot in people who are on a spiritual path in the world today is they, they're not all looking for a conclusion. What's the conclusion? You see, someone can say, well, you're one with everything. And if you get enough spiritual education, enough spiritual intelligence, you'll say, so what does that mean? 
you see. In other words, let's drill down a little further. You see, when you're just starting your spiritual trek and you're not afraid to get off the path because hell's on both sides of that narrow strait, then uh, you may buy that. Oh, wow, that's, I'm one with everything. As, as time goes by, as you become a little bit more uh, educated in spiritual life, you'll start to wonder, so what else is there? Because that doesn't really tell me enough, does it? And so many times, I know I pick on this a lot, but it, it bothers me that folks will tell us things like, I mean, you can go and pour your heart out to somebody with some difficult situation that you're, follow, that you're experiencing. And they'll say something like, put it out to the universe. Now that sounds interesting, but what is the conclusion? What do you mean? What will, what exactly are you talking about? I mean, are you talking about just in all directions? Because you know, the universe is all directions. Is there a particular place that I should throw it or? Is there a particular chunk of rock out there that I need to throw it? Or a, a gathering of rocks that are billions of light years away? What are you talking about? Give me more input. Sounds interesting, but not comforting, you see. And then that person may say, put it out to the source of the universe. Man, now that sounds a lot more interesting. That makes a lot more sense than, you know, the universe. You know, I mean, rocks are rocks no matter how big they are, right? I mean, just because a rock is really, really big and there's lots of them doesn't mean that it's going to say, all right, thanks for putting it out to me and I'm going to get right on it. Or I give you an answer, you see. Uh, no, put it out to the source of the universe. Wow, now I feel better. Who are you talking about? You know, you're saying the source of the universe. You're implying that some, something maybe had a plan for this universe. So you're implying that there's some supreme authority out there and it had some sort of a plan, so it has some sort of a mind, which means a personality. So are you saying that there is a supreme personality that I can actually put it out to? Well, now that makes a heck of a lot of sense, doesn't it? So there is a supreme personality that I can have a personal interface with. That works better than rocks, doesn't it? I mean, it just does. And if you don't believe me, try it. Have it try having a, uh, a personal interface with a, a person and then go over there to, to the mountain and see, you know, check it out with a, with a rock. Just because the rock is bigger or there's lots of them, it's still a rock, you see. 
So what people really mean without knowing it uh, is that you put it, put it out to the universe means that I'm recognizing, I'm recognizing that there's a higher power. Maybe they don't even want to admit this, but there's a higher power other than you and me. And when I tell you, put it out to the universe, I've just exhausted my entire arsenal of spiritual intelligence. That's all I know. So it's not that they're being bad. It's not that they're being nasty. That's all they know. You see? They and, and they're as desperate as you are. Gee whiz, that's terrible what's going on in your life. Oh boy, what do I do? Okay, put it out to the universe, you know? That's all I know how to say. If they knew more, they would say, let's put it out to the supreme source of the universe, the supreme personality, you see? Wouldn't they? And then you might say, heck, that sounds great. Who is that? You see? Gee whiz, I don't know. That's as far as my knowledge. Like you've just exhausted my whole database of knowledge, spiritual knowledge. But it doesn't mean they're bad. You see? It's like sometimes a doctor may be treating you and he may say, you know what? I'm not qualified to do this operation that you need. We're gonna to have to call in a specialist. This happens every day. Well, I thought I could treat you, but I see that your problem is more advanced. So we're gonna to have to call in a specialist. See, someone who knows more than me. So, uh, of course, in spiritual life, people don't tend to do that because I don't want you to think there's anyone who knows any more than me, <laughs> you see. So, does that make any sense? I'm, I'm giving you everything I know. And it's hard for me to acknowledge that there's someone who knows more than me, you see. So, uh, a sincere spiritualist recognizes that I have a poor fund of knowledge. Om Agyan Timarendasya uh, om, oh, energy of God. Agyan, I was born in the darkness of Agyan. Gyan is knowledge. Agyan is lack of knowledge, ignorance. My dear Lord, I was born in the darkness of ignorance. Just recognize, I didn't know how to talk or how to walk or how to feed myself. I, you know, I was only given what was around me. You're an American, or you're you're a Japanese, you're a Chinese, or you're Indian, or you're whatever the people told me I was. That's what I accepted. So I was born in this darkness of ignorance. But my spiritual master opened my eyes, my darkened eyes with the torchlight of knowledge, you see? So the spiritualist very early on begins to recognize there's somebody who knows more than me. You see? It's like when you go to college. You recognize there's a guy in that college that knows more about whatever it is you're studying than you do. If you walk in there thinking, I know more than that guy, you're not gonna learn. 
And the problem with spiritual life is that we get so many people who come in the door and they feel like they already know it all. You know? And the guy that tells you to put it out to the universe, he thinks that's all there is to know. Because that's all he knows. And I'm not going to go around telling everybody that, well, you know, when it comes to spiritual life, I don't really know anything. Except throw it out there. You see what I mean? Until people advance to a point where you realize that I was born in the darkness of ignorance and I have to approach a guru. I have to approach someone who can raise me up to a higher level. So then when that happens, now you can raise everyone else up to that level through knowledge, distribution of knowledge from the soul. You become a realized soul. It's not that you always stay in darkness. The guru doesn't want to keep you down. The guru wants you to become a guru. Become guru. You go and save everyone else. I'm giving you this torchlight of knowledge. Give it to everybody. Even those who don't want to take it. Give it to them anyway. Maybe they'll take it and they'll use it later. Just give it to them. Does that make any sense? Now that is your soul speaking. When you have that feeling of love for everyone, I want to give you this greatest gift. Oh, I'm not asking for anything. Get out of here and leave me alone. Yes, thank you very much. I appreciate whatever. We don't, we don't say, well, you're a fool if you don't believe in no, us. You know, here, I'll, I'm offering anyway. Just take this knowledge. And if, if it's okay, take it. If not, that's my job, to give it to you, you see. So... If we, it would be better if the folks who give you, who have limited knowledge, could somehow or other realize that. It's like a doctor that realizes, we've exhausted my ability to treat you. I need to call in somebody, a specialist. Out of his mercy and kindness to you, he admits, I'm not qualified to take this any further. We're going to have to get a heart specialist or a cardiologist or somebody else, you see. Unfortunately, a lot of times, uh, spiritual advisors don't know. They don't know that I don't have it all. They don't know. So they think this is, this is the all in all. And it's a step in the right direction. You see? You, does that make any sense? So are there any questions or comments, criticisms? Yes? Well, uh, their soul wants to. So 
We need to learn early on in our pursuit of spiritual advancement that your soul, there is no such thing. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. So when my soul, it's just like I think that if my mind wants pizza, that I want pizza. And yet I'm wondering if my soul wants something. That's upside down and backwards. I am the soul, you see. And so what is it that I truly want? If your desire is that you want to climb Mount Everest, and in your last life you made it three quarters of the way up and died, you froze to death or you fell off. So now my mind is telling me that I want to go back and finish that trip. You've got to say, no. See, the soul wouldn't want to climb Mount Everest. The soul wants its identity back, my eternal identity, not one of my billions of identities. One of my billions of identities was I tried to climb a mountain and I got killed, you see? So it would be kind of foolish for me to say, I'm going to go back and finish that. If I realize that I am a soul, I'm an eternal soul, and I've taken many, many different bodies, then I may think, I, I want to stop taking all these bodies. You know, isn't there an escape from this material world? You see? Now, if in my last lifetime I was a yogi and I had achieved a certain amount of spiritual realization, I still don't have to worry about that because Krishna guarantees in Bhagavad Gita that whatever spiritual advancement you achieve in this life, you start off next life with that. You never lose any. You see, so I still don't have to worry. See what I mean? None of that matters. What matters is how many more deaths do I have to take? And what controls how many more deaths I have to experience is how many more times will I be born? Everything that's born dies. And in between the birth and the death, there's disease and old age. If you're lucky enough to live a long time, this may sound dismal, but this is true. Let's say you're born into a family and they go to yoga, not just once a week or twice a week, every day. So from birth, here you are taking yoga classes every day. And they're vegans. And they eat only GMO or non-GMO food, all organic, it's all, you know, the healthiest. So you're getting plenty of exercise and you're living in a part of the world where there's no air pollution. The water is absolutely pure and you're exercising. You're doing yoga every day, you know, and your food is totally pure and you're not accident prone whatsoever. You're very, you see, <clears throat> so you never get disease. You never have an accident. What's the reward? <clears throat> old age 
So, you know, if I live a good, healthy life, old age, not long after that, death. So, <clears throat> that's not a good deal. I want to stop that. I don't, because death is not that nice a thing. If you know that you're at the time of uh, your death, if you know that you're going to go back to Krishna and not ever have to take another birth, then it's death isn't so bad. <clears throat> death becomes your friend. You see, you let it happen of its own accord. But if it's just another death to take another birth, wow, that's just not a good deal. And now this is top drawer spiritual thinking. You know, this is a couple of notches above, put it out to the universe. So <clears throat> as a soul, we should be interested in how do I escape birth? I got one more death to go, right? So how do I make sure I don't take another birth? If I don't take another birth, I eliminate disease. Everybody has some disease, even if it's just a cold once in a while, and old age. No matter how you try to glorify it, old age is not fun. It's okay if you're, if whatever strength you have left, if you can use it for Krishna. But let me tell you, as you get older, your strength is gonna your energy is draining, like batteries. You, know, you ever have something that, that runs off a battery? Like a flashlight, you know, and it's, you turn on your flashlight and it's, it's lighting up your path when you're out hiking and then all of a sudden you turn it on, it's starting to get pretty dim. That's what old age does to you. You, get, you just don't have any, any energy. I mean, you can make it through, but you know, it's, everything is tougher to do. But still, you're serving Krishna, and it's still glorious, and it's delightful. If you're not serving Krishna, and you're getting old, that's not a good picture, you see? And then that means death is going to come. And if I, if I haven't driven my life properly, if I haven't listened to the needs of the soul, then I'm going to take another birth. I'm going to have to do it again. Yeah. It's the same. Uh, where do you want to go after death? It's not something you can just concoct, you see. Where do you want to go after death? A uh, really smart person would say, what are my choices? Can I just say, well, I want to go to Disneyland. Or I want to go be one with everything. Well, you know, think about that. Do you want to be a piece of that mountain over there? And what does that mean to be one with everything? You see what I mean? What are my options? And so if you can find a devotee of Krishna, and people may think, oh, but you're just going to tell me the Krishna conscious thing. You know, because we're in these material bodies, and we, like I said before, I'm thinking since I was born in America, then I'm American. And so 
If you're German, that makes you different from me. So we have these ways of splitting things up. Well, you're going to tell me what your religion says. In other words, you're going to give me your truth. Well, we're not a religion. We are kind of, to operate in our society, we have to be registered like a religion, but we're not a religion. Pure love of Godhead is the object of human life, of the, uh, the, the destiny of the soul. Pure love of Godhead, pure, loving, personal exchange for eternity, meaning not coming back here. So someone may say, well, heck, I want that, but I don't want it to be with Krishna. Well, then you need to work on that, you know? All right, so then what do you want? Where, where is the, if you find a religion that will take you to a pure loving, pure love of Godhead, personal, uh, love is personal, right? I can't love your stuff or an, or an imagination of you, but I can love you. I can love your personality, you see? That, that personality, which comes from your soul, that is the lovable essence of you. Same is true with God. If you're going to love him, you've got to get to know him. And if you say, well, I don't want to know Krishna, I want to know somebody else, and you fill in the God of your choice here, that's okay. But is there a path? Does that entity's, that deity's path does it even tell you that you're going to get pure love of Godhead at the end? Lord Buddha was a, an incarnation of Krishna. And for those here who know, you know some, you know. Where does Buddha ever say, I'm going to, if you follow my teachings, I will give you pure love of Godhead? Never. That's not his mission. Who promises you pure love of Godhead and can tell you what this Godhead looks like? And, and how do you relate with him on a loving, personal? And if you say, well, I still don't want to follow Krishna, all right, then follow whoever it is that you want and go as far as you can. And ultimately, you will end up with pure love of Godhead, and that's going to be with Krishna, because that's the... Of, of all the unlimited personalities that God has, that Krishna is the lovable personality. He's not the scary, you know, he's not the strict, you awe know, huh? There's no awe and reverence with Krishna, you know? There are unlimited personalities of Godhead, and some of them are, are there for those who want to worship God with awe and reverence. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't mean, well, you're less. No, but if you want eternal love of Godhead, you're going to end up approaching Krishna. You see? You can see Krishna is so lovable. But I always tell people, if you don't want Krishna, go the way you feel you have to. You see? But I haven't seen, I've studied a lot of religions, and I don't see many of them talking about that. 
pure love of Godhead. You know, in other words, you should have a vision. What will it be like when you close your your eyes and you breathe your last breath and you your soul leaves with that breath? What is going to be waiting for you? You should know this. Not, this isn't a time to roll the dice. No, you should know. You should see it long before death. You should know it. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm going to be doing. And I know who's going to be there. And I don't mean just have faith. Faith is a step towards knowing. And if you want to know Krishna, Krishna says, he who, who, he who practices yoga as an offering of love to me, performs loving devotional service to me, knows me in full, free from doubt. First verse of the sec seventh chapter of Bhagavad Gita. If you, if you perform loving devotional service to me, you will get to know me in full. Not after you die. Now. That is a fact. So, all right. I think I'm talking too long, so let's wrap it up. If there's more questions or comments, we can talk while we eat. All right. Thank you all so much. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Ah. And good night to all of you out there. <clears throat> Thank you for joining us. Come back again, same time, same station next week. Hare Krishna. Don't forget to tip your waiter. Is this a new mic? Yeah, we just do it. Yes. Sadhguru is so generous and kind. He likes.